and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Yeah. We have uh, another guest this week. Yeah, we're rolling in guests. Yeah, we went from none for, I don't know what, two years. Two and a half years, maybe. Yeah, something like that. To uh, about one every week for the last last little bit. Yeah, we got some good guests, too. Yeah. So uh, with us today, we have our, our new friend, Brian Creeling. Did I say that right? Yep. Um, from RT Machine Machine or company. Machinery? Machine Company. Yep. Um, and they're in Hughesville, Pennsylvania. That's it. Yeah. So we were just we were just talking about Brian's hot rod shop, which we're gonna we're gonna get back to. Yeah, we'll circle back. Um, but first, we want to thank our sponsor, Hayfla. Hayfla offers a wide range of products and solutions for the woodworking and furniture making industries, from hinges and drawer slides to connectors and dowels. Sandpaper, wood glue, shop carts, and everything in between. Exclusive product lines such as Lux LED lighting and Slido door hardware ensure that every project you create is built to last. Learn more at Hayfla.com. Is that website up and running? It is. We had it. We actually, our order, our order went through. So Rich, Rich hooked it up. All right. Hayfla had a little bit of trouble over there in Germany in the, their home country. Um, it was a yeah, big debt, like a ransomware attack. They were oh, shut no down for like three weeks. We were pretty fortunate. We had, Hayfley had a warehouse um, literally 20 minutes from our shop. So we we would get stuff instantly, mm-hmm. which was super nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even here, uh, a lot of stuff, if it comes from that Harrisburg or whatever it is, it, it's like uh, the next day. Yeah. Even the North Carolina is pretty fast. Sweet. So, oh. yeah, I, I was going to say. Tell us what RT Machine Company is. Well, RT Machine Company is, uh, we're actually North America's biggest used equipment dealer. Uh, and then we're new equipment. We have quite an umbrella of new equipment that we sell and uh, full service of all makes. And uh, we actually recondition just about anything. Cool. So, um, and then we recently bought uh, all the rights to Oliver Machine Company. Really? I saw that. From 1999 back to 1907, we actually have all the birth certificates, everything for every machine that ever went out. We have all the tooling, all the parts. We have all the foundry. Wow. Uh, That's the good Oliver. Yeah, Yeah. it is. We do do a lot. We just, there's right on the uh, site right now, we just finished up a really nice bandsaw that was a full recondition. And we can take other people's uh, wheels and whatnot and Mm -hmm. re-rubber them. And just about anything in between with them. So, you know, it's it's been a very nice add-on to the, the whole umbrella. Yeah, well, we have that. I guess that's a 2000. Yeah. It's like the first year when they went over to Taiwan. Yeah. Um, and it's been, it's you know, it needs a little tune-up now since we moved, but it's been good. We bought a the 20-inch planer. Must have been, what, two years ago? Mm-hmm. That thing was horrible. We sent it back. It was a lemon. Yeah. It, uh, it had so much deflection in the head that you could physically see it, you know, moving when you ran a piece through. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the customer service wasn't so uh, responsive. Yeah. Oh, and we have the shaper. Yeah, we have an Oliver shaper. We were going to go full on Oliver, but, you know, it was, we couldn't, we couldn't, uh, yeah, couldn't get the results. Yeah, the newer stuff is a little bit different. Um, definitely. It's just this, you know, 
same factories as Grizzly and Powermatic, right. and exactly. it's just the same different. <clears throat> a lot of it's job. all coming from yeah, similar. Just depends mm-hmm. on who has the best quality control. Right. Yeah, you know, maybe this bearing on the Powermatic's a little bit better, or this, you know, the Oliver might be slightly better than the Jet or whatever. You know, right. The price point on the Oliver too, it's like a little bit. It's higher than all of those similar machines um, on a lot of stuff, but then the quality doesn't seem to be there. Mm. Well, they definitely have heavy castings. I mean, that's one thing with them that they're, it's definitely giving them edge on that side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, what was it, the drill press or the bandsaw? <laughs> the bandsaw was, yeah. oh man. Well, a lot of it's too, it's on, you know, who you're buying from, mm-hmm. you know, and the support with it. Well, yeah. that, that sort of leads us into how we met. Yep. And and why you're here and everything is sort of like a new part of uh, our friend and family circle. Yeah, Lou uh Lou said, "Hey, I got a buddy over here that's <laughs> having some edge bander issues and uh no sooner I was at uh, their shop and Jeff called me and I mm-hmm. I said, "Hey, I'll be over there in about a half hour today." Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was that was great. Yeah, fire that machine up. I'll be over. <laughs> so, it's one of the I think unique uh, advantages that we have at RT. We have a, a big umbrella of technicians and, and uh, my background, you know, obviously I, I had my own shop for 40 years mm-hmm. and we just wound down at the end of the year. And uh, so I've been there from the very beginning of just doing a couple man shop, growing all the way up to over a hundred man shop and uh, running high production lines and yeah. case work and closet systems. And we did, uh, Schindler elevator for all North America. Jeez. So we had a couple elevator lines just running for that. So, and, and anything that was a custom laminated product we handled. So, mm-hmm. you know, quite the umbrella that we did. Yeah. Well, we saw some of the equipment, you know, dust got an outside <laughs> dust collector, 40 feet tall. And, you know, it's the stuff that everybody dreams of, of running, you know, all these yeah. big, big, big machines. Um, yeah, we just did two, um, really nice rebuilds for O'Shea lumber. Oh, really? Uh, that, yeah, uh, so they had, uh, Oliver Strato planes and, uh, we pulled one out, took it to the shop, did a complete rebuild. We put that one back in, took the other one back, did a complete rebuild and they're up and running hmm. both their planers full speed again. Nice. So the Strato planes, what is it? A double sided planer? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, we had wood that had gone through those machines. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thousands of board feet, probably. Yeah. Typically, we don't. Typically, we just buy a rough, but uh, like that walnut that's in there, we had that, you know, surface two sides and SLR, just because yeah. twelve footers on a on an eighty inch bed joiner is yeah. not not going to happen easily. Yeah, well, we got people that listen all from all over the world, and but we do have a circle of friends and stuff like that that are regional mm-hmm. and. Um, we want to just say, you know, as like a kind of a shameless plug, you know, give you guys a call or whatever if you need anything, because that's kind of what impressed us. That's what, you know, sort of built this relationship. We had uh, that edge bander was crapping out. You were over here with your head in the edge bander, no <laughs> questions asked, no nothing, just, you know, hands dirty. Yeah, and in 30 seconds, it was putting on edge banding, you know, yeah. which yeah. We, we struggled to try and get it to do just that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's indispensable to have. Well, that's what we're hoping to really bring to the plate, 
you know, we have, we have a couple other salesmen that were techs as well. So going out in the field, they know exactly what to dive into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, a lot of heavy panel processing is, was a lot of my background. Uh, not so much as the hardwoods. We did a little bit of stuff in the hardwoods, but most everything was pre-milled and then we did assembly, and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, things like that. But just getting a machine like an edge bander, there's a lot going on. And there is. As everybody sort of attests to, there, there can be a little finicky even, you know, the right off the them. boat. <laughs> yeah, right out of the box. It's the biggest be... <laughs> $700,000 machine, they're edge banders when it comes down to it. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, how much you want to run through them. And, I mean, some of those monsters like the EMA that we sell through shelling, and they're just incredible. They they spit parts out so fast that it's but very high production. Well, that's sort of what we were saying. What do we do? You know, like you are a big component of why we went with the, well, I appreciate the machine, you know, the Sahisa and everything like yeah. that. Cause well, I was dealing with Sahisa. Uh, I think our first Sahisa we put in, in like 94 and, uh, we had used these big old tanks that were called SCM B4Ls. And we used to just run a lot of this big, heavy inch and a half countertop work. And they were perfect for that. But trying to take that machine down to uh, melamine, they just weren't designed to do it. They were heavy. They could actually apply a three-quarter oh thick wood edge. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. <clears throat> we actually used to uh, use those bases, and we would build other custom equipment out of those bases just because it had such rigidity. I think I saw something. Yeah, we built uh, one It was like uh, – Single partial double end tenoner had uh, one side saw blades and uh, routers coming into one side and then an adjustable saw blade on the outside. Hmm. And uh, I don't think people understood what it was in the auction, what they were <laughs> doing. And the guy that actually came to pick it up, he goes, this, I can do a lot of stuff with this. Cause they were, he was basically, you know, just sizing mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you could control the track speed and everything on it. So, you could you could tail that thing down to whatever you wanted to do with it. So it was. We have a buddy, uh, Matt Viz. He's up in Connecticut, and he has a, a couple of these like machines that some guy built. He's got like a double upcut saw, so it just you know cuts trims both ends, and yep. And he's in a he's in a I, I, well, I shouldn't call it a small shop, but small shop compared to you know shop like yours. Uh, like a 2,500 square foot shop, but he's got that. He's got, um, what does he have? That shaper that he's got a couple of shapers that, you know, were, you know, built from scratch, basically like sliding table shapers and stuff that some guy just made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you can dream up. We've, uh, actually modified and done. That's cool. It's like a shaper and then it bores for dowels or something too. Or maybe that's the, that maybe that's the uh, double double cut saw. I think it cuts both ends and then it comes in and drills dowel Drill holes. Saw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we Which do. Like, we do you know, the uh, the Fromac line. We do quite a bit of that type of work because it's it can stepper it. So depending on what the parts are, we we basically build those machines from whatever the jobs going to do for it. Hmm. <clears throat> so it's yeah, RT's uh, it's a nice family run business. Ron and Eric are the main. And uh, my son actually runs the service division. Oh, wow. So he takes care of all the, we have a rigging company within it. So we can do full setup, rig equipment out. Um, 
set everything up. We've moved plants for people. Um, so that's another good resource. Yeah. Yeah. Because when we bought these machines, you know, we were like, what the hell do we do about rigging? We just, we call rigger. I mean, rigger turned out to be very expensive and really not, not necessary because IRS just loaded those, um, for us. But yeah, you know, a one-stop shop is, especially for guys like us, um, we don't have, we don't want to waste the time trying to figure out all of these different steps of something. If we can go to somebody that can help coordinate everything, then that's, you Take know. my heartache and adapt it to your business. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's, here's what's not to do. <laughs> I MF this and I MF that. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's value there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping to bring to everybody. You know, I'm straight shooter and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was obvious. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, like I said, you came in here, you worked on the machine, didn't yeah. hand us a bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's building trust, building relationships. Yeah. That's what it's all about. You know, it's not just the next machine to sell. It's what makes the most sense for what your business is doing. Right. And yeah, you know, we operate the same way where, mm-hmm. you know, if we're, if we're at someone's house and they're like, you know, this door over here, something that we didn't even do is, is it's not closing, you know take 15 minutes and fix yeah. the door. You know, it's just, it's yeah. part of building relationships with your clients. I used to drive my wife nuts every time we go to doctor's offices or restaurants and I'm underneath <laughs> opening the cabinet. She said, get the hell out of the damn cabinets. Keep I said, I want to see how they put it together. <laughs> Where'd you get that posi drive? <laughs> the, the, the doors and everything. Cause nothing's. See that, that's yeah. why they got the job they were doing. They saved all that money on that hardware. <laughs> yeah. Oh Yeah. Well, that's always the name of the game. It's finding out what, where you can cut corners or not cut corners or make it value added. Yeah. You know, that. We've been trying to do that more and more. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult. I I think with the network of shops that you guys have too, you know, the more guys network together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, utilizing the strengths of other shops, you know, there might be somebody that's, you know, used to banging boxes together. You might have a job that. You know, we did it for years, you know, yeah. we'd, we'd send something off to a big cat we had a lot of boxes and then we did all the customs, you know, and we made sure it was our spec and we did it that way to, you know, to work into it. Yeah. Yeah. We're thinking, you know, with the edge bander, since, you know, it's, we're not going to be running it a full shift every day. Right. Offer edge banding service. You know, if, if somebody local, like somebody like uh, the position that we used to be in, in the old shop where we didn't have room for an edge bander. Right. We would have gladly brought it to somebody edge banded and then leave with edge banded parts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, you know, a great value to yeah. push out there. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about networking, we got the, that Domino, what was it? DF 700. Yeah, Is that what yeah. um, From our buddy Corey at CT Woodwork. We needed this thing, this tool that we don't have. And we said, doesn't Corey have that? We Talk had it here, him. yeah, and about 20 hours later, it showed up on our, on the doorstep. Yeah, texted him, messaged him on Instagram, Hey, actually. are you thirsty? Why don't you come over with a beer and bring that Domino? <laughs> well, he's in Patchogue, Long Island, oh. so. <laughs> we sent him a shipping label, and it got here, like, lunchtime today. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's what, you know, really makes it nice when you have a network of people to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. yeah. Plus, they get to see if, is it going to work for what we're doing in the future, too? Right. Oh, Yeah. 
Yeah, Corey's got a Cantec uh, eight foot slider. I I think he said it was coming Tuesday, but then it got yeah. delayed or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a nice shop out in Patchogue. So if you're ever out that far, probably hitting him up. Yeah, <laughs> drop by, drop by. I'm the new guy in Jersey and New York. <laughs> he's like us. He's got expensive taste. He's like, send me this Martin planer. He's like, I really want this planer, but it's $44,000. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah. That's always a tough challenge is where to put your capital oh, that makes yeah. the most sense. Yeah. You know, it really does. It's uh yeah. Well, we're hoping the edge bander opens up uh, a whole different avenue for us as oh, far I believe as, you know, doing you're going to, you're going to wonder how did we get along without it? Yeah. Is is going to be the next mm -hmm. big thing. And you're already thinking about it too, is, you know, bringing other guys in to mm -hmm. help them out. That Yeah. And, you know, part of the whole move was pivoting the business a little bit to try and pick up some of these more, uh, you know, Euro style kitchens and commercial millwork to supplement, you know, stuff like that yellow cabinet in there. It's, there's a big price tag on it, but the profit margin is, it's nowhere near right. a no. commercial millwork job. Right. So to, to supplement what keeps us happy, basically, you have to take on these jobs that are, you know, they're less technical and, and less challenging, but the profit margin's better. So Well, I think the first day I was in here, you talked about the jobs that feed the soul and the jobs yeah. that pay the bills. Pay the rent, yeah. <laughs> Finding that happy balance, you know. Yeah. It's like the starving artist thing, you know, you want to make... You want to make the art you want to make and, and live in, you know, some dirty basement in Brooklyn or, you know, yeah. you're going to do that too. And then you take on the commissions. That's not exactly what you want to do, but you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I always had that problem. If I didn't like it, I'd tear it apart. Yeah. <laughs> Redo it. You know, so have you been, have you always been taking things apart and putting them back together? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, the funny thing is my dad ran another business for 27 years before we started crailing and, uh, so I grew up literally in that shop and uh, we actually did post form blanks as well. So we, we had full post forming lines and as a little kid, I was hanging out in those lines, you know, Hey, let me do that. Let me do that. You know, motor mouth, you know, and uh, it was nice because all the guys, you know, and then I was cleaning the shop and stuff over there. there I actually started working for my dad at 11. So, uh, and I worked three days a week at that shop and then we, we started crailing and uh, so that's, I was basically on home table saws at eight years old. And, oh, uh, yeah, my and dad was still always, got 10 digits. Yeah. <laughs> well, my dad was up. pretty cautious with that. You know, yeah. we had, you know, it was one of these, the little home saw was, I think my grandfather's old, old, I think it was maybe from the thirties craftsman, mm -hmm. you know, the, the combo joiner table oh, yeah. saw, yeah. you know, uh, what else was on that thing? I forget what else is on Does it. Does it have a lathe on it too? That one didn't have a lathe. That okay. one was, I think we just had the, the, uh, I had a sander. So you had the table saw joiner and a sander off to the side. <laughs> All of one motor. Yeah. Running. <laughs> so we, we always built, you know, uh, remote control stuff. So I was always doing that kind of thing at, at home. And then, you know, obviously when I got to school, I was a little, I was already used to working in, you know, the, the wood shop and doing all this stuff. So I diverted over to metal. Yeah. So in, in high school, I did uh, basically full machining, uh, welding, everything like that. So my my uh, love for cars and motorcycles just kind of stayed with me through all that. Uh, yeah. Is that how you got into hot rods and stuff like is. that? <clears throat> yep. And then uh, 
once upon a time, I dated a girl who her father, most guys wouldn't know, but it's called Posey's Hot Rods. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was pretty well-renowned builder. Wow. And uh, so I got to hang out at their shop, you know, while I was still motorhead and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and learnt, learnt my body working skills and some of this stuff, you know, from them. Most of it's, it's, it's patience. You know, it was funny. I'd go in there and one guy, Bryce, I'd go, man, I'm just beating my head. I got this door panel and, you know, going into this quarter panel. And he just looked there and could see this door right here? I got 40 hours. I said, I got it. All right. And I turned around and walked out because it basically what he was telling you is it, it took time. patience and your hands and feeling it. And, uh, and I've been always kind of a wide open throttle kind of guy. My wife would always say, I don't know why you like to do body work. She, that's like, I said, because I can see the end picture, you know, going to that finished product laying down, you know, as a paint. So that's what always just kept me going. So what'd you drive in high school? Well, I had a, I had a, an Oldsmobile that, uh, I wrecked. We were all leaving work one night. And of course we are, we all worked at, at my, my dad's shop and it was like a racetrack leaving the parking lot at night, everybody like burning down the highway, you know, race. Cause we all lived out in the same neighborhood too. So, you know, we're 10 mile race, you know, home every night, which we had a good time. Well, pouring down rain, the girl pulled right across both lanes of traffic. And my buddy was in front of me. He saw her put the brakes on and I slammed right into her. Oh. So from that point I was doing pickup trucks and <laughs> that kind of stuff, motocross. And then, you know, and then, the hot rods came with, I did a lot of drag racing too. So it was, we ran, ran a nostalgic circuit for quite a while. I had a mm-hmm. 63 front engine dragster full body deal. We did and uh 65 fastback Mustang. So that was my nostalgic tour, mm-hmm. you know, but I always had to that. build everything. I never had the bankroll. So <laughs> that's how I had to learn, you yeah. know? So I, I didn't have the, I couldn't write the check for it. I had to figure out, how to do it. You know, we were, we were married young, had kids young, you know, so here I am trying to hang with guys that are 10 years older than me and figuring out how I got to do it. And that's really how my skill set developed was just, I just was relentless, you know, and, and it was nothing to be up still painting, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, my, <laughs> my neighbor would come knocking on the door. Did you leave your fans on? No, I'm still working, Jim. <laughs> Sorry. I'll be I'll be done soon. <laughs> Please don't fire that car up tonight in the garage. So, you, so know? you were loved. In the oh, yeah. That, it was funny. My uh, my brother-in-law, he had a, a friend that lived right up the street, and he goes, your brother-in-law is the loudest freaking house in the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, it was it was a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah, bikes, too. I did. I had uh, quite a bit of choppers and baggers and stuff. And my poor wife, I, I would put her on these custom 18 over springers, a little pillion pad on the back with, you know, sissy bar. And I used to run, I was always a speed freak. So I always had like big stroker motors, one thirteens and stuff. And, you know, uh, belt drive systems, you know, on them, so I could really hook up and go. And I always ran race fuel on these damn things. So <laughs> I pull, you know, we'd go to car cruises and that, and I would take a chopper down and stuff, you know, if I didn't have a car ready to go. And and uh, guys would pull up beside me and go, what the hell do you got in that thing? Because red light to red light, man, they didn't have nothing on that bike. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, my buddies, they go, I don't know why she, 
she just sits on that pilling pad and we go, you know, go bar hopping or what have you. And, and, uh, she goes, well, I can sit at home. She's a good sport. Let me tell or you. Or I can. So she endured that for a while. And then it was funny. I, I, I got a good line on a, uh, ultra classic. So I, uh, I picked this ultra classic up. I already had all the motor work done to it and I lucked out pretty good. So I'm taking her for a test drive. We're going up this mountain and we're running 80 mile an hour up the mountain. She's back there with her diet Coke and a bag of chips. And she don't even know we're doing 80 mile an hour. <laughs> so oh she, she loved that bike. Yeah. That one I took out. I had 12 inch apes and stuff on that thing. And oh man. Yeah. A bunch of us all drove out to uh, Sturgis that one year, 2010. It was, that was definitely soothing the soul wow. ride. The, uh, I came home by myself and, uh, ran an iron button 22 and a half hours. So that was, uh, I had a hard time sitting in the van going to the Hamptons for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> my back still hurts. So yeah, my buddies had a nice bike shop and, uh, they were in a lot of the magazines and I was the painter, body man, welder. Nice. And I'd get a little blip because my shop was called BK rods. And, uh, and BK rods did the, you know, a half of a sentence, you know, on there. I'm like, you fuckers. <laughs> There's a lot of crossover in like the woodworking to like hot rods and motorcycles. I feel like guys like Keith, you know, he's mm -hmm. big into cars and yeah. built a bunch of trucks and Manny, you know, guys like that. People like to build stuff and get their hands dirty yeah. and create. It is. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I've always found it relaxing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the kids always drove hot rods in school and stuff. So we were, we were the oddity, <laughs> you know, where everybody was running the Toyotas and Hondas and stuff. And I built this. Uh, oh, was those tuna cars? Yeah, was but that your, you know, your... I'm, I, well, that's not me. Yeah, but I'm still hot rod side. But the kids, my my kids. Oh, uh, okay. You know, and uh, that we we built uh, for my daughter. She was 15. We built a little F-150. Uh, 1980 step side short bed. I slammed it on the ground and put a nice little roller motor in it. And I built literally built the whole thing out of a junkyard. <laughs> so like I was just slapping parts together cause we were always at the junkyard scrounging parts and stuff. And, and uh, she helped do everything in that. And uh, I didn't give her any gears. She got no rear gear. She had like two seventy fives. I put a stall converter in it under the C six and it was a rust uh, Mustang roller motor. So it sounded good. You know, and uh, pretty funny story. So I get this thing on the road, and she's driving the hell out of it. She, I don't know, who knows how many miles she put on this darn thing. Well, she ran out of gas a couple times. So then I was like, that's it. I'm, I, so I dropped the fuel tank, and I moved the sending unit up. So when it hit empty, I knew she had at least six gallons of gas. <laughs> and uh, so, like, shortly after, the, uh, the flex, I had the wrong starter in it, and the Bendix wasn't going out the whole way. So it pitched up the flex plate. And I was like, look, I don't have time to yank the transmission out. So I run up the Harbor Freight, get this socket set in a breaker bar, and you're going to have to crawl under the hood and turn it till you get a good spot. So her and her, her, and her friend, Kelsey, they pull in. One day they had a this little place called Souders Mini Market and ice cream spot and stuff. And Oh, yeah, we've seen those places. Yeah. And uh, her and Kelsey are in there, these two little blondes, you know, and, and uh, the truck wouldn't start. There's these couple guys hanging out at the door and, and they're like laughing and being dicks basically, you know, man, it pops up, pops a hood, comes out with her breaker bars. Kelsey slides over into the thing, 
man, it crawls under there, gives it a quarter turn, zing, it's still zinging. <laughs> quarter turn again, fires up. And I told her, I said, anytime that thing fires up that, you give that sucker at least three good raps. Row, row, you know? And uh, slams the hood, Kelsey pops over, Amanda gets in, and they said the boys' faces were just like on the floor. <laughs> and didn't know what to do. They're like, I don't even know how to change a tire. <laughs> so, so, yeah. That's like when we got a flat in the van. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, my my son, he was like, we were working on a 56 Ford for him. We chopped it and everything, truck. And uh, he was pretty knee-deep in that. And uh, my brother-in-law had this jet boat. And uh, Derek used to mow, mow grass on these islands. We, we were big boaters, so we were always down there. He goes, Dad, you know, I, I think I'd like to buy that jet boat. I'm like, well, yeah, I'll cut a deal with it and let's we'll bring it home. I mean, it had trees growing out of it. I mean, it was rough, you know. Are, are kind of special, you know. <laughs> so we, we ended up uh, putting a big block together for it, scrounged parts at the, at the uh, like Carl, Carlisle products and stuff like that. And we, uh, so he got that on the water when he was 15 because he didn't need a driver's license. Yeah. So he's got this big block Chevy and we did all this custom metal flake paint work on it. It was called the Aquaholic. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, yeah. So I kind of brought those guys up in right in with all the hot rod stuff. Do you yeah, have man, anything cool. in the garage now? I still have my daughter's truck that we actually switched when she blew the motor up. Um, we switched everything to big block because we were always big block Ford guys. So we actually, uh, that's in there. It's got to be put back together, but it's all ready to go. Motor's built and everything's. And uh, we kept my uh, Derek's chopper. But right now I don't have any. My bum buddy's just bugging the shit out of me. He's like, Carling, when are you going to do your own car again? <laughs> And uh, to be honest with you, it, I, it took the wind out of my sails. I was running the main plant, trying to run the hot rod shop. It was the worst thing I ever did. I, sh I should have never brought it into the main business because mm -hmm. I was, you know, it was one thing the wife never minded when I was out in the garage till midnight, but I was at home. But up here, now I'm at the shop still. Yeah. You know, I got at the shop at six in the morning and I'm still at the shop at midnight. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was, that was the hard part, you know, and then you couldn't get guys just like everybody's dealing with today, you know guys that can do everything it's very difficult you know yeah and guys that can do stuff guys that show up guys that uh you know yeah have the right attitude yeah we did some pretty high profile projects we did um it was called the tuner challenge with uh scion toyota and mm -hmm. uh, we were pitted an east coast build against midwest and west coast guys and uh, we had a build group basically i did all the interior work and uh, we had a guy did all the body kits and the paint then we had there was a special guy i can't remember their name uh dc area they actually had they built a custom one-off supercharger for this thing hmm. and uh so we get to sema and uh there was it was in a couple of things so the tuner challenge so we smacked that out of the park and won the tuner challenge with that really and uh yeah, the West Coast boys didn't like it because who's all these no-name guys, you know, out in the East Coast here that just, like, smoked them? And then uh, then we won Hottest Sport Compact of SEMA, and then we were in, like, the top 20 because we had custom wheels we built, too. And uh, so it was pretty neat. Then wow. we did a thing for uh, an E-Judge app, which was a Ford Transit van. So Ford Transit van got dropped off right from Ford at my shop, and we did this complete custom diamond stitch interior for this. And there was all these crazy electronics and stuff that were in it for the, for the e-judge app. The e-judge app was like a, they go to take it to car shows 
and it's real time judging when all the judges are out, you know, walking the car. Hmm. Ah. So that was pretty neat. I did some drifting cars that went out there the following year at SEMA. So we had a pretty good presence. Wow. You know, I had a lot of, a lot of guys in the industry that were, you know, were knew us and trusted us with stuff. So what's like your dream, dream build dream car. You know, I, I think I almost did it with, with my dragster. Um, the dragster was a labor of love, all one piece aluminum body. You know, it was the real deal. We, you know, of course we had to do update the chassis a little bit, you know, but, uh, nice little 406 in a power glide. We were running through traps, 160 and a quarter, you know, in this little hobby built car. <laughs> <laughs> the Mustang was no slouch either. That was like a buck 20, buck 25, depending on how we were. Yeah. It, it reminds me, it makes me think of this show that used to be on, I think it was called Pinks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, where they race for pink slips. Yeah. 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 It, it was sort of, it was low budget enough that it, it was intriguing. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it really was like <clears throat> two guys showing up to race and, oh, yeah. you know, race for their cars. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of fun with it. Definitely had a lot of fun with it, but uh, I did, you know, I, I was working on, I wound that down like back in the 2000s. I actually built a wild Trans Am for Eric, my boss. Um, so it's a totally one-off piece. I built a custom chassis for it, and uh, it was a 79. We did a – it's got a 410 dart block in it right now, and uh, we made the hood open this way. It's all complete, I'm all new sheet metal. Basically, I, I salvaged from the windows up. And everything else is new. Is it a T-top? Because that doesn't it is, much. It, it is a T-top. Yeah, it is a T-top. So, yeah, it was uh, quite the build. It took took about seven years to build it with wow. everything that was going on. We got it in the shop, and it, we, we realized how bad it was. Yeah. And then we looked at, okay, should we find another donor? The problem with those kind of years are almost everything's junk. So you yeah. could go spend 20 grand for something and still get junk. So I said, well, let's just run with it. I, I can do it, you know. I went to high school with a guy who had a 79 Trans Am. Is that like the Smokey and the Bandit kind of yeah. era? Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, those yeah. Well, I was always a huge Smokey and the Bandit fan. So, yeah. like, I think yeah. I saw it 10 times in the theater, like, in 77. That's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> we, we still watch it, the wife and I, like, when it comes on TV. So, it was really, you know, it was kind of a dream come true to actually build that car of an icon mm-hmm. of, you know, pop culture. Yeah. Which is. Yeah, which there's is, been a couple of shows based around, you know, that oh, car. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. They let me just run with it, and every car I did, I would do a crazy one-off sound system in them. Because years ago, I used to compete in in stereo competition and stuff in the early days, and you know, so every car I did, I had to one-up it, you know, or, or depending on what the the budget was, you know, I would try to fit fit everything in <laughs> where I could. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy piece. So, uh, didn't Keith do something like that with? Um, uh, Car audio. That's why he has like those subwoofers uh, laying around. He's he Keith like sold car audio, but uh, wow. I think uh, Manny's buddy Brian didn't he do mm. some of the competitions or something? Who did something? Because yeah. yeah. you were going to help him build a speaker box. Oh, that's right. Yeah, or maybe it was might have been Manny's other buddy Ray. Yeah. I was really into subwoofers and uh, like the technology of the folded horn and all this other stuff. I mean. Most of the things I, I would see in, in cars would be like direct radiators, just you know straight firing. But I was really into the, 
the technology, the physics yeah. of, you know, the the folding and, and all that stuff. We actually, um, my crailing my company before, we, we did for Claire Global. Mm-hmm. So we were building the speakers, you know, for them on some couple of their product lines. Mm-hmm. And then we'd do the console cases and stuff that, you know, a couple of cool things we did last year. We did, you know, once for, it was a custom, uh, I forget what the name of the model was, huge case, but Kenny Chesney tour, oh, yeah. you know, and all of them. And I mean, it's, it's their, their whole facility on It's called rock Lidditz in uh Littis, PA. It's, it's incredible. They just, uh, buddy of mine's the general manager down there and just awesome. It was funny cause we, you know, we're big boaters and stuff. And Todd used to see all the equipment. He was the last one to see the stuff going out the door and the first one to see it when it came back. So he had to go through tests, make sure what went where, mm. you know, what went into rebuild, that kind of stuff. And we had, uh, it was probably 1988 and, uh, we had the tape test tape from Madonna oh, yeah. coming back. So we had this <laughs> test, we're out in the boat skiing and stuff. And he goes, I got this tape here. Let's, uh, let's pop that in. And, and, uh, she's freaking yelling at everybody. And, uh, I mean, just as crude as crude to be, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Go from the rock star stuff to, uh, Rob know. once had a girlfriend who thought he was going to leave her for Madonna. Yes. It was, <laughs> it was right around that time frame. It was the late eighties and, uh, in New York, we were going to be the next big thing. We were uh, courted by these major labels and everything. Oh, and, nice. Um, you know how sometimes people, your 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 spouse or girlfriend just goes off the deep end. She just was fixated <laughs> on this whole thing. And like, that is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Madonna, yeah, Madonna. Yeah. Well. The Might as well have been Princess Diana. Exactly. <laughs> biggest uh, star in the world. <laughs> yeah, especially at that time. Yes. Yeah, all the girls in school were dressed up like Madonna and oh, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. You had the Pat Benatar look or whatever. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Too funny. I can only imagine. The crazy I, uh, 80s. I remember it well. <laughs> oh, man. So you've had your hand in a lot of different things through the years. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did a lot of home building as well in my spare time. So <laughs> I do my <laughs> I do my cabins and stuff we had up in the mountains and and uh, so I had this. My last big project was uh, we lived like like in Pennsylvania. They call them like townships or boroughs. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty much the same type of deal, but it'd be like the same Middletown. They call it Middletown. That's where I live. And but you'd still be Middletown, but you'd be out in the, out in the township part of it. Okay. And then she found this house in the borough that was sitting vacant for like six years. It was this 1933 craftsman style home and they had it all just destroyed. And uh, so I had to bid on it through the government auction. Mm. And it was like the last night of bidding before it went to like investors. So I got my realtor lady there and we're, I'm pacing up another thing. I'm like, what do we put this bid in for? You know, I don't, you know, it was a double lot. It was a real nice lot. So that's why I, I kind of wanted the thing to, you know, go for that. And uh, I get, I put the bid. I'm thinking, oh, I'm never going to get this thing. She calls me 10 o'clock next morning. Hey, you won. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> now what? <laughs> so, yeah, I built this. Everybody calls it the, oh, you live on the, the house with the porch. <laughs> and uh, I built this crazy post and beam 
It's uh, eight by twelve. I Morrison tenoned everything. Um, uh, walnut pegs holding everything together. Uh, so the main structure is pine, and then I did these crazy banister rails out of uh, lace wood. Mm, wow. And then uh, the tops and bottoms of uh, the rails and the side runners are sapelli. The deck is mahogany. Then it has a New England style flare that I did radius coming off of the the base of the top of the thing. If you can picture it going down off and then go straight down. So it has a cedar shake. And then I did copper inlays on the caps. So it's got how many, you know, between the cedar and the. No jaw oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and everybody goes, would you build me one of those? I said, not in a million years. Everybody goes, how many hours you got that? I don't yeah. even know. How deep are your pockets? <laughs> but, you know, we, we like bird mouthed everything on a on the, the miter, and it's all saddled going up and down the rails. So I had like four fixtures just to do that going up the steps, oh, both yeah. a left and a right. So, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoy projects like that. And, you know, I have big 1700s flat forging chisels, half radius arcs. And until you work with some of the big stuff, you don't realize how crappy the the little <laughs> stuff is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're you're able to just fillet off. You know, now this chisel is this long. You know, it's two and a half foot long. Yeah. You know, with the handle. And I have ones I have different handles mm-hmm. depending on what I'm doing. And you can just slide it in it's really really a nice way to like a big slick i guess yeah Yeah. it is yeah yep so that was a good project so definitely had uh my hands in a lot of different things over the years and it doesn't happen in an 80 hour day for sure (laughs) no no, not at all yeah but yeah that was always the, the thing i just i enjoyed doing it i just you know from all aspects of it. I learned, love learning the prot, whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. learning the whole aspect of it and, you know, coming up with, I'm working on a big diesel pusher motorhome right now that I literally stripped to an aluminum. Uh, I was going to ask you what you were, <laughs> had uh, going yeah, on. So that's, that's my latest. Uh, I got it almost finished. I actually just put the, uh, the pictures up on, uh, I'm on this Facebook page, uh, RV renovations and it just like blew up. Cause like nobody has seen somebody literally do a full sandwich construction. You know, I figured out that he's, I did a bunch of testing and uh, basically stripped it to the aluminum two by they're one by one and a half by one and a half. And then all new insulation where the plywood goes. I found where you could buy the Asdell, which a lot of the campers and motorhomes now use Asdell other than Luon. So uh-huh. it's a full composite. So it's a 2.7 millimeter and, um, it's not, you know, it's waterproof. So I found the company in Lynchburg, Virginia, but they won't ship it. So all the companies around that use it, they have to send trucking in. So I I went down and uh, took the van down, loaded a whole pile of it up. <laughs> it was like 15 bucks a sheet. Wow. It's oh cheap. My God. And I was like, I had to ask the lady. I was like, are you sure? She goes, well, let me go double check. Yeah, that's only 15 bucks. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it because you can't even buy a piece of Luan for that. No. Yeah, and this stuff has like an R value to it and it just mm-hmm. lays nice. And then I redid all the aluminum uh, skinning on the outside. So the whole thing, I got it almost all done. I got like two pieces of aluminum put on the other side and 
I already built all new cabinets and all new countertops for it, so they're all ready to just go back in. Well, so you're going cross country. Well, I, I do. I fly Giant Stale RC. So my dad still builds. He's 87 years old. And uh, so he'll do the frameworks on them. I do all the motor work and all the electronics, and I do all the painting. So, and I'm the flyer. He never and really How flew. big? What's the wingspan? Uh, our biggest glider right now is what's called a TG3. And that is um, 247 inch. Whoa. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're so flying. What's that? 20, 20 feet? feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, pretty crazy. Like my tow plane for the gliders, that's 222 cc four cylinder boxer engine in it. You're oh, kidding shit. me. Oh, yeah. These are. <laughs> so you fly the glider up, then let it, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then Two it guys just has are, a little rudder. Yeah. Well, and so, I guess all the. Yep. All the. And uh, I kind of got sucked in uh, a few years ago. Like I've always been to RC and, and flying the giant scale stuff and building and stuff. And then uh, I just out of the blue, I was like, hey, I want to go up to this glider competition up in uh, uh, Goshen, New York. Just out of the blue. And a couple of my guys were like, you're not going to like those. You're too like high energy for, for those guys and stuff. I fell in love with it. I got up there. Everybody was like inviting. Totally opposite what everybody's telling me. And I was like, these guys are great. And uh, I actually bought a glider that was used there and uh, was at the very next event. And the guys were awesome. So we go. The wings come off? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like that one is just two piece because I have a big enough van or trailer that I can can carry it in. Hmm. Like the tow plane, that's still 138 inch wingspan. You know, then we have our sport planes and that that are, you know, 100 inch. Um, everything we kind of do now is like one third scaling up. Okay. They just fly better, you know, and in reality, the economics of putting everything together, it's really not that much more money, you know, right. In, in the scope of what you're doing. So, yeah, but well, so we like to go to those events. So I had like a toy hauler and stuff and we were using that, but the problem was I got four granddaughters now. And so I put bunks in this motor home and, uh, so now basically going day trips and then, you know, to those kind of events and stuff. And That's I can't cool. afford a $200,000 motor home. So. <laughs> so you built one. So I built one. Yeah. Yeah. We actually built our old race trailer years ago too. So we had a 40 foot gooseneck that we built out of an old tractor trailer, cut the, cut the bottom rails off and had a buddy of mine that he built the new frame for underneath it. We put new triple axle torsions under it and we built like a living quarter in the front and my, I could back my dragster in and hoist the dragster up. And then I pull my, Mustang underneath it, and then we would go to the events and stuff with that. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Everybody thought I had a fifty thousand dollar trailer for for ten. <laughs> Sweat equity. Yeah, so that's kind of how I don't I don't know if it's I'm just stupid when it comes to <laughs> I like the abuse, you know, of, of the project. Well, yeah, it's that satisfaction. The whole yeah. it's the whole built not bought kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I've I, you know all that stuff I enjoy, you know. And, yeah. I just saw, I was scoping out fishing spots and there was a, was it Doorbrook Park maybe? Where they had, it It was set on the map like uh, RC Plain Area or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty popular. Actually, a lot of the um, uh, places down in Florida, there's just whole communities that are based around RC Flight Line, really? RC Track. Yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. You know, like Ocala County, that's, it's like all over down there. That's where my grandparents lived was Ocala. Yeah. It's a nice area. Yeah. Weather's good. We have some friends that live down there because we're, uh, we go down there to the World Barefoot Center in Winter Haven. 
So we're barefoot water skiers. So mm. what part of the state is Ocala? It's like is it hour south of Gainesville, something like that? You're like over towards Orlando a little bit, um, but a little south. Um, it's, it's like, like the, it's like the chain of lakes is there, like through Winter Haven and all that. That whole county is Ocala, I believe, is how it is. And then, um, yeah, it's it's a gorgeous area, and the weather's nice. Yeah. Mm. So you're not like my brother lives down in. Uh, he's in Porta Garna, which is like Naples, Fort Myers area, and it's it's, it's hot, brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I remember looking for uh, looking at a job in St. Petersburg. Uh, in a wood shop <laughs> and i was like what's it like in the summer it's like well it's hot yeah. like you know like what what does that mean you know? yeah it's brutal down there in the summer it, it was one of the things that sort of made me you know yeah step lightly so that guy with the dust tech he he just messaged me he said are you still interested in this 600 bucks and you got a deal sounds like a winner yeah. <laughs> that's a, it's quite a risk. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah, so we had uh it was funny when I decided to close our, our shop down and uh Ron, I had Ron, the owner of RT, come in and evaluate all the equipment and he said, Well, what are you gonna do? I said, I don't know, I guess whoever wants me, I guess and so he said, why don't you come on board with us? So ah, that's how it all. Is that how you started with RT? Yeah. But, you know, like we've been friends forever, mm -hmm. you know. And it's funny because his dad, Dan Boos, was my equipment salesman from the 80s. So, you know, I've known the family yeah. all yeah. the way up through. And you Ron, Ron worked for a company, well, you, IRS Auctions, that, mm -hmm. that you bought off. It used to be Carpenter's Machine. And uh, till they got rid of the carpenter's machine, just kept the the auction company, and uh, that's who Ron had actually worked for. So it was pretty good marriage. He's been in it forever, and really has done well. It's well. Like, how can people find RT Machine? Uh, RTMachine dot com uh, is one of the easiest, and uh, yeah, the uh, guys are on Instagram. So yep. Instagram is the big, uh, yeah, yeah, he'll do a lot of posting on Instagram as well as, uh, stuff that's just finished. Mm -hmm. Like they'll do th on the service side of things and the reconditioning. Yeah. So they just put up like, uh, what was it? A drawer clamp or something? Yeah. And there was that, uh, Oliver bandsaw that was just finished mm -hmm. up, you know, little flashes. Yeah. You know, to I remember when we were looking for a slider and it was like, uh, I remembered after we met you that I was on the website looking and, but it's like to find a used slider these days, there's, there's none. No, it's, it's difficult. And a lot of them are pretty beat. Yeah. Like so that's why got. you don't see <laughs> typically um, like right now we don't have anything I believe on there used unless it's a consignment or something, mm -hmm. but yeah, we're pretty pick, picky when it comes to the, to the sliders and whatnot. Our buddy Tim uh, bought a an SEM sliding shaper from you guys. Yeah, maybe I don't know. It must have been a couple of years ago, but he said it, it was great. Yeah, I mean the used market is is really a great way to go, depending on what you're looking for and what your resources are. You know, um, depending on what your capability of working on stuff is as well. Yeah, you know, we get a lot of a lot of big shops that you know we're, it's pretty late model machines that they already have that same machine 
and they'll bring them in because they know the machine, yeah. yeah. you know, or have a stockpile of parts they've created, you know, some of these larger companies that we get into. That's what we find with that a lot of times. Yeah. We, we learned a little bit about the slider when we, we got it because it was missing a few things, but it was all, you know, trial error. What the hell is this thing do? Why isn't this working? Hey, look, yeah. there's only one belt. There's two pulleys. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. there's no user manual. For, there's no user manual in existence. Even if you call Minimax, they're like, yeah, we don't have one for a 99. Well, that's, you know, when you're buying from auction, mm -hmm. um, you don't really know what you're getting a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. You know, where what we're doing, we're bringing stuff in and we'll depend on how it is. Some stuff will sell as is, you know, depending on what it is and others that are cleaned and checked. And then we sell full recondition. Yeah. So, you know, we give the options, you know, like, uh, oh, I think we just finished up, uh, Marine Johnson gang rip. That's actually just coming out of the shop right now. We're, you know, a new one with two moving blades and stuff. You're talking about a $200,000 machine and the, uh, company opted to take theirs and recondition it. And I think brand new machine, basically at like 90 grand. Hmm. So, but they had the base to work off. Yeah. You know, so it just depends on what it is. We have a huge Harman laminator in there right now, which is basically a melamine laminating press system. You know, it's a couple million dollar ordeal oh, we're doing a full recondition on right now. So what, you put the core material in and it comes out the other side with... Yeah, this thing's monstrous. It literally takes up, I think, end to end all together is somewhere around 150 feet. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think pretty close with all the other, <laughs> How just do you two, move two shops like that. Well, it's broke down, you know, into different, if, different parts of it. So we just bought another one, um, that we have in stock as well. Um, Jeez. and this one we had purchased in the company that had another one. Problem is Harlan laminator was, was sold and Patrick industries bought them. So they won't sell to any competition. They mm. bought it for themselves. So, when we get the stuff, now we have control that we can sell it to people that are, hmm. you know, in that. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, the I think we should probably do like an updated. We just moved the shops around quite a bit right now, so uh, because of some of these, the magnitude of the size of some of these projects. Yeah, you know, we moved that into a bigger area, so we have it knocked down to where something comes in, it's tested. Um, we decide, you know, pictures and stuff are taken, and then we decide, you know, get an evaluation. Okay, is it here's what the price would be as is. Here's what the price would be reconditioned or it needs these items. Yeah. You got to go through it and figure yeah. out the cost of. Yep. And then we have a complete it. machine shop in house. So everything that we're, and we're ramping that up right now, even larger that but just because of the capacities, you know, we, we have stuff out to other shops and they just can't keep up at the lead times. And then, mm. you know, so we're able to control the quality. And you can make all the parts that aren't available. Them. Yeah. So, we have some pretty talented crew yeah, that's on the machining cool. side too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, my, my son's background is he's uh, got a bachelor in manufacturing engineering. Hmm. Plus he grew up under my toolage. So he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's had his hands on everything. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> overall it's yeah, a couple buddies that actually work for him now engineers that came on board with him, you know, because of all the different magnitude of projects we, we've taken, rebuild controls for units. So stuff that's outdated or a complete line will make a full set of controls that controls every piece of the line. Um, so that's 
something is very unique that most people can't offer. Yeah, I'll say. You know, uh, and customize the lines. So it's, we definitely bring a very unique package to the table for sure. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and from all the way down to the smallest. Yeah, what's item. the smallest stuff that you guys do? Uh, typically like our, you know, the, the smaller Oliver, um, North Tech, you know, um, on those type of machines. We have a couple other lines there. We can do like the Laguna as well, you know, just depending on what. Uh, I actually just quoted a Laguna dovetailer the other day. And, of course, you can go all the way up to full CNC dovetailers with mm-hmm. Marine Johnson. That you're talking $75,000, $80,000. So, you know, just depends on what the workload is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got to do with it. Yeah, so it's pretty much everything in between, you know. And then we, we buy used equipment as well. Um, the biggest problem is a lot of times some of the used equipment that somebody has in their boneyard, some of it's worthwhile. We never, you never know yeah, until you look at I it. I think, I think I know somebody with an edge bander. Yeah. <laughs> I think we evaluate It's working that great. <laughs> Just needs a little tinkering. <laughs> well, you know what though? Something like that, if somebody is willing to, to put their sweat equity into it and, but you know, as well as I do, yeah. your resources are slim. Yeah, it's the two of you and you got to decide yeah. do i want to spend six hours on this and no we want the edge band or the edge band yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the you want to be able to bend. And like i said before i said i don't think there's too many salesmen out there combining can tune it for you no yeah. <laughs> i mean even you know i think there's only one yeah lou who i mean he's he has experience on this exact edge bander you know i mean it's been probably whatever 20 years since he's run it but and like Corey and a couple guys who had actually run this edge bander, like we couldn't get it running. Yeah. You know, put I'd on get edge it banding at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, what I said. We're going to put your card inside the cabin. So when somebody buys it, they know who to call. <laughs> 5% discount on the glue. Oh, by the way, I got you. Uh, we're setting that up with um, the 280.90. And so free bag of glue is coming with oh, that. Cool. Oh, cool. I yeah. said, Kurt, I want it set up like this. And this is what I want. I've known Kurt for a long time at Sahisa. Yeah, actually, uh, the Sahisa was, uh, I was going back and forth with him a little bit on Instagram. I guess yeah. it's some some guy out in Spain, you know. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I just actually talked to one of the techs um, back when Kurt and I were going over your machine, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were going back and forth a little bit on the corner rounding and how I wanted it to really be set up for you guys. And so it was good. Yeah great guy over there he's yeah. very knowledgeable cool he's been at the plant forever and see that's I, the stuff that you don't get when you just punch in your order on the computer exactly yeah. that's well, that's like uh the guy from elite metal tools which is a, they sell you know some machines and stuff online and we were looking at a can tech you know i i uh it's one of those things where it's like get a request a quote so request a quote and then inevitably they call you when you don't respond um, cause we're just window shopping anyway. This is going back a couple months and I'm like, Oh, I'm like, we actually ended up going with the Sahisa. He's like, Oh, he's like, I actually sell those machines. I'm like, yeah, but it's, but it wouldn't have been the same. You yeah. know, it's not. No. And that's the value added service that we're, well, we talked about it cause you know, this is a huge purchase for us. It's monstrous. And, um, we weighed the value, uh, basically, you know, what's Brian's value here? And all of this in this endeavor, because it's not just buying a machine. Yeah. It's It's after it's that it's like a sport bike or something, you know, 
we were looking at that BAC, and then it was like, you know, I could buy a, this guy's got this Ferrari for a really good deal, but there's no shops in this entire <laughs> town that work on Ferraris. Like, then what's the, what good is buying it? You know? Well, it's funny because I just had that. Now, we, we you know, because we, we sell used as well. So, mm. you know, I got to be careful sometimes. <laughs> but uh, no, they're, uh, they're good machines. They were never known for their edge banners. Um, you know, around their CNCing processes and stuff, that was always their strong point, you know, as far as them. Because I looked at them and I ran them. Yeah. You know, and, and one thing that, you know, I'm kind of bringing to the plate as well is, you know, with all the years I've been in business, I used to drive around. I'd take my product and drive cross-country and run it on whatever machine I was going to be using. I didn't want to just do little 12-inch sample pieces and stuff. I want to, like, we were running, you know, all those elevator panels. I was taking basically four by eights of a three eights banded. It's got a cup to it, you know, <laughs> and we're going to run that through the machine. Well, it, it threw a lot of guys for a loop. They're like, well, we can just run these. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm backing my truck up and we're going to run what I brought, you know, and that's what I did all the years. So I have a lot of background in even the highest end machines, you know, when you get into the contour banding and stuff on full, you know, basically point to points. I ran those machines as well, looking at, you know, bringing them into my planet different times so hmm. yeah i was definitely a stickler for uh knowing the nuts and bolts and how it's going to work and progress over time too, yeah you know because it's a machine when it comes down to it you know every machine's going to have something but it's the reaction to getting over that because you can't afford to be down yeah no. you know that's the biggest hurdle you know yeah. I, it's like that in in our business too you know things can go wrong so to speak it's yeah. all it's always about how you respond exactly you know with the client exactly and, you know how you fix things yeah well we tried to get those wall units in on monday <laughs> yeah and they were so we there it's uh a bumped out fireplace and then about it already. two niches on either side so we have these wall units that go you know they go in we built the face frames loose and the cabinet boxes are an inch smaller than the opening yeah you know we don't want the styles to be too big so whatever we just made it a half inch on either side well, they cased the trimmed opening right next to it. And on the other side, there's a door going outside. So all of a sudden, the geometry, we couldn't get it in there. Which is some re it had some really big... The back band, yeah, was like an inch and three-quarter deep oh, wow. or something. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, huge. Yeah, we were we were in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, power planer, knocked the corners off, and you get it in there. Got it in, yeah. Yeah. It's the name of the game, being able to react to it, stand back a little bit. and. Mm hmm they even told us just take the take the molding down, you know. We'll we'll put it back up. And Jeff got up there and he was you like, know, Yeah, you know, it's it looks so nice. I don't really want to like take this guy's work down. It was, yeah, it was glued. Yeah, because that, that's usually the one thing where you're just like, it's stuck just a little bit, and the whole thing like you know rips <laughs> oh, yeah. in half. You know, there you go. It's like <laughs> yeah, because it was flat stock with a butt joint and then a mitered back band around it. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. not, and it's nailed this way. You know. Through the back band it was never <laughs> wasn't intended to come apart or no no and yeah, they did a not good job easily. you know when you yeah. see nice trim work which you know i mean we're, this is the hampton so you hope that it's gonna be nice but most trim work you see is real shoddy but this was like nice and tight i'm like i really don't want to destroy this guy's yeah because nice you know work. trying to put something back together like that sometimes is you know mm -hmm. very yeah. difficult if you can get it cleaned up and i know a lot of guys use a lot of adhesive anymore mm-hmm you know, and very little fasteners to get some of this stuff done. And, you know. Yeah, it's insane. We uh job we did recently, the one in Seabright, mm -hmm. I'm pulling off the baseboard to put in the, the cabinets. 
a ton of little short nails, but it, nothing hit a stud anywhere. Yeah. It's like the guy just shot in a nail and he's like, all right, 16 inches from here, but <laughs> never flipped a stud at all. <laughs> like, oh my God. I mean, when I, I, so I started out in residential carpentry as a finished carpenter and my boss, I mean, this is only uh, at the latest 10 years ago, we would still go back and hand nail everything. So we would shoot everything in with a gun, yep. PL glue on the backs of all the trim, you know, yellow glue on, on all the miters. And we would go back and hand nail with 10 penny finish nails, nice. baseboard, crown mold. He was old school. Yeah. He was old school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, really on a lot of the nail guns today, they're not designed as a, <clears throat> a full holding the trim through. Yeah. It doesn't push. It doesn't, you know, clamp the way a, a hand right. nail does when you set a real finish nail most guys are like what are these <laughs> yeah well this is how it was done and it worked really really well for a long time it's a typewriter yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's scary going back to hand nail crown molding when yeah. you got it up there it looks you know yeah it looks good you, you have to be real careful because yeah, and it'll what, it'll hurt you because it'll suck it tight you know, where you can fudge it and it, it's a little off, you know, and, and the miter looks good. And then when you put that hand nail in, while well, it sucked it tight to the wall and then all of a sudden you're open over here. Yeah. So, it you know, it puts you in the check. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, with the new products out there, as far as adhesives, it's made life a lot, a lot more mm -hmm. forgiving. And yeah. a lot of stuff works really well. I mean, it's... Yeah, we used our share of it on those beams. Yeah. Yeah. Getting them all... A lot of adhesive. Yeah. Yeah, there's no no substitute for PL glue. The uh yeah, over the years I did I did a lot of glue testing with, with Wilson Art. Oh. Um so being that we did so much flat laminating and stuff that <clears throat> we were always on a test bed. Matter if it was a a contact adhesive or an EVA or a PVA that we were working with, and if they had a new product, they would send it up in the label X can. <laughs> to me and well we had some pretty good pretty good regional guys that that put a lot of weight in us you know to they trusted our opinion and and uh, we would run it through a series of tests and uh, that's how we kind of got to being that test guy through everything and uh, then years ago uh, national casing went out of business but i i had worked with a chemist over there he used to come into the shop and uh, i'd show him what i'm trying to do with the glue spreaders and stuff and what kind of viscosity and things we needed and uh, like the initial tactability and uh, he would tweak stuff and uh, it was, it was a great relationship and I was sad to see when they actually closed up. I don't know if, if they were bought out by another company and just dissolved the national casein. A lot of times that's what happens, but mm -hmm. yeah, we, we had, we had a lot of good with them and, and with the Wilson art as well. So you had machines that would apply and spread the glue yes, and then powered roll coders. And uh, then we did a lot of different stuff with spray contacts. So not only through the flammables, um, all the water-based adhesives, and then some of the specialty contracts, like to give you an idea, the 3310, which is a great uh, assembly glue that we ran through the tests and came up with the spray equipment to spray it. So when you're doing like multiple sheets of like MDF and you're bending something, in a radius mm -hmm. because that glue had enough elasticity to it, but it had a bond strength that really bit in because it had a little bit longer open time. So it really set in. So we would put stuff in these fixtures that we built. We'd spray each side, 
pop them all together. You know, it'd be like four sheets at a time in a thing. And then these clamps and just unbelievable. So the spray equipment, when you look at 3310, that's Crailing Industries that ah, came up with that wow. spraying equipment. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just always enjoyed like the hurdles, you know, to figure out what the, and usually what I gave them was the window of operation. So you can have a two inch window of operation or you can have a five foot window of operation. And depending on what you're doing, you know, and there's a lot of great adhesives. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem is, is that salesman that's selling it to the correct shop. You need to go into that shop and you need to find out what their temperatures are in that building. If they're going to adhere to those temperatures and are they going to pay attention to that tight window? So that's usually what dictates a lot of times on the adhesives that should be used, you know, and depending on the application you're, you're trying to go up against. So that's one of the key factors with the adhesives, which, you know, I'm more than help, happy to help anybody with getting over that hurdle, you know, of different flatbed laminating. We laminate a lot of panels. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what exactly Tom used, just like, a you know, your typical propane tank looking contact adhesive yep and there's so many of those out there right now and everybody kind of has that product you know between formica and wilson art and it makes it as an easy but what you have to remember is a propellant on that and then you have to look at what the carcinogens are that's <laughs> oh, one yeah, of the other things, things in high heaven yeah so some of those you really want to look into on the msd sheet i have a buddy out in arizona grant Mm -hmm. He uh, he uses that uh, Wilson R H two O I think it's called great glue. Yeah, he likes that a lot. Yeah. He buys a Harbor Freight cup gun and just yeah. sprays on. Yeah, we we actually were in the in the beginning stages back in uh, early nineties developing that glue. Yeah. So when they were coming into that, and we actually had one of the first. I had it custom built out in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was a Midwest drying tunnel, and so I had a conveyor operation eight foot wide. And we used to run all these full big countertops, you know, down through this. And uh, so we would take that glue and then uh, tweaked everything with them until we've really found a nice product with it. Hmm. That's actually been one of the really good glues, you know. But like anything, it's proper use. Right. You know, like, the biggest thing that we find is people will spray it too heavy and then they'll try to flash dry it. And then they trap the moisture. So it's dry on top, but you'll see a milkiness underneath it. Once you trap that, it takes forever for that to go away. If you're lucky, it'll bite into the core and, and be okay. A lot of times what will happen is you'll get a you'll get a bubble or a D-lamp because you've had so much moisture trapped in there. And uh, so what we would do, we, we were running through, we we're spraying, and then we're running through the drying tunnels, and then it would get laid. Then it's going through a pinch rolling process. So it had consistent pressure through the big, big, large pinch rollers and stuff. Hmm. So and like in our high production lines, that's kind of how we handled that with the contact. Yeah. It beats doing it with a J roller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's some of that you can never get away from, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like whatever yeah. guys, how lazy he's feeling that day to just mm -hmm. make it look like he's going through this and there's no, no real pressure no, going yeah. on. Tom had those little palm ones. It's just like a block of wood with it. Yeah. I'm like, you can't get any pressure with this thing. Yeah. There's actually uh Quite a bit of technique to the rolling. Yeah, I bet. And then actually, when you get into some of the wider rollers, you actually lose pressure, hmm. though you think you're getting more. But now you've just distributed oh, your yeah, yeah. your wrist weight, you know. And right, so, it's like walking in grass with sneakers or high heels. Mm -hmm. What's gonna What's gonna go through the grass? Exactly. 
So, yeah, no, I had a lot of fun over the years. I mean, helping develop a lot of stuff and, you know, just different processes and traveling around the country and learning it. I mean, elevator panels are everywhere, I guess. I was delivering. It went all over the world. Yeah. You know, probably most of our products was North America, but we had a lot of stuff that that went out as well. Yeah. People, uh, you know, even that aren't in the trade, you know, they could notice yeah. these things because they're everywhere. You know, you walk in <laughs> every elevator. It's made up of these, you know, wood or veneered panels. Mm-hmm. And one of the last projects we did is we're, we're using a special Rusco glue that's designed just for this process. It's only made for that process for M. Schindler. And uh, it's, a, it's a flammable contact that we're gluing right to the galvanized and to the laminate right to the actual structure of the elevator hmm. so they ship all the panels into us and uh, we glue everything up it's a special wipe down process we do before on the metal and then uh, goes through a spraying and and heated dry tunnel and then through assembly so it's so the, it's it's integral to the elevator instead of correct so like where you there. have where you have the hung panel scenario where you already have the whole steel of the yeah. structure and it's used like a bow tie nylon nut it all just slides onto the panel or onto the metal panel itself. That is part of the whole elevator. Interesting. Well, and they're trying to they're trying to come is up it, with cost effective ways. I was going to say, is that a way that, to save yeah, money? an economy on it? And you know, and I think down the road, if they redo the panels or whatnot, they just hang a panel on over it. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, if when that yeah. gets messed up, then you just go to the, it's like you get yeah. two two for one. So I'm it's not like putting quite the new sh- roof over the old roof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we used to do a lot of, diff- you know, locally we would do uh, retrofits, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we were talking, I think we might have been talking about it in, uh, on Monday. We did a job in Hoboken and the super was like, do not mess up my elevator. You know, they were, they're like, get manic about it. Oh yeah. Well, we it's had to walk up eight flights. It's very costly if something happens to that, especially mm-hmm. when you got those, uh, union elevator yeah. guys in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like the mafia from over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, I worked in the city for a couple of years and, uh, in New York and, um, getting, to the apartments was always the, the, you had to negotiate. And I mean, it was like a whole crew <laughs> of people that you had to pay, as they say, grease. Yeah. We were, we, we did exhibit work. This is, I was quite younger then, but, uh, so we would ship to these shows all over the place. And a lot of times we were shipping to Chicago shows. So for my dad would always have the truck loaded up, grease money. Oh, yeah. You know, for every, just to get through the gate, to get mm-hmm. unloaded, to get the guys on the forklift, to get you unloaded, till you could actually, once it was in your booth, you could put it together. Yeah. But yeah. everything in between that, you're talking about $1,000. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah, because when you're working in an apartment in New York, <laughs> you're there all day, you know, f- uh, for weeks. Yeah. So you, you have to have access. You have to have, your, you know, your bringing things up and down and you need that special relationship. We were working on the 23rd floor in this condo units in Baltimore, right, right on the water. I mean, literally when you're looking up, you couldn't see the concrete under you because it was just all like water. 
But we were doing these solid surface countertops up there, and the backsplashes were full, full length. We didn't, we didn't piece them. I couldn't get them in the elevator. Oh. <laughs> so I sent the tools up in the elevator with the elevator guy, and he gets up to the top, unloading. My my guy, my helper was up there, and he said, "Your boss ain't gonna be very happy." He's got to come up 23 flights of step with those oh, splashes. So, you know, I'm like going up through around the stairwell. I mean, oh, my God, that was that was brutal. Yeah, we had an 11-foot, uh, like, hanging media console, and it went from corner to, you know. <laughs> and I'm trying to draw the elevator yeah. in, in Fusion <laughs> and place the cabinets. I'm like, I think it's going to fit. And we yeah. were going to have to walk it up. Otherwise, thankfully, it did. Yeah, we've already made stuff in pieces just to. Spent more time assembling the darn thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was that big, of course, you don't ever want to have to do that. But no, some yeah. of those instances, there's. We finished this one and then we, I was like, shit, this is going to Hoboken. And we, we had never been to the job site. You know, oh, it was just came from a designer and. And it was when an we showed up, The drawings were like completely wrong. She's got like 10 foot ceilings. Ceilings are like seven foot six. Yeah. It was like <laughs> we totally. had to trim everything. And, oh, jeez. Yeah. That's... There was like outlets where there wasn't supposed to be any outlets. It was always. Yeah. <laughs> oh, theirs yeah. are there. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. The designers don't use tape measures. <laughs> no. What we were talking about before, like, you know, value engineering stuff. This uh, big job we sent out, you know, like uh, some bunch of commercial stuff. It's like 50 something, whatever. They're like, all right, the client's budget's 30. And I'm like looking at the, you know, going through and making what changes I can. I'm like, I can't bring this down $20,000. I'm like, there's no, there's a, there's not that much meat on the bone. And B it's like, I already gave you, you asked for the bare minimum, like the cheapest way. I already gave you the cheapest way. Rule number one, you always got to keep 15% in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> to negotiate. Yeah. But uh, everybody wants, like, I took all the backs off the cabinets. <laughs> like, unless, you know, you want to pay somebody else to install it, we could knock some more money off. But Yeah, and that in itself can be huge. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> just trucking like you talked about going over the Hamptons, the tolls and, yeah, you know, everything that goes along with it. It's mm-hmm. Sometimes people think they're saving money and then they wind up spending more. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, it's just, just the way it is. Cause you wind up, you know, the economy of scale, we, we pass along the, a little bit of savings, right. You know, for, for our labor and stuff like that. Cause we're already involved in right. the project. Somebody yeah. that's coming in from the outside, they're going to charge a premium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're looking at full startup mm-hmm. here exactly. at the job. So yeah. it's a whole different animal. Half the battle is just becoming acquainted with the client. You know what I mean? Learning what they like, what they don't like, mm-hmm. the, all the idiosyncra- uh, idiosyncrasies that they have. So if we already know the client, well, then it's that much easier for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, earlier today when I went down to our other customer there with the door sander. So like right now, I'm picking up samples, running them at the shop, tweaking it, you know, messing with the heads and the paper and mm-hmm. seeing what we can dial in for. I just brought another load home for Friday, I'll run for them. And, but that's the little stuff that, you know, we're willing to go that yeah. extra mile and make sure that everything's mm-hmm. going to be right before, you know, we got over the hurdle. I got in the door first. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people keep coming back when you offer that level of service, you know. It's yeah. not just like, it's not like we said, all right, we'll take, we're going to do the edge banner and then we never heard from you again. You know, yeah. which, I mean, that's what happens. It happens a lot. Yeah. You know. 
But uh, no, I got one right now. We're working on a molder, and I'm gonna, you know, pull samples for because they're concerned about chatter and stuff. And you know, half the battle is yeah. what's out in the marketplace and what somebody's trying to oversell. You know, that's that's the worst thing. I think, you know, oversell something and it can't perform when it hits the floor. <laughs> you know, that, that's really letting the customer yeah, down. Yeah, I like right to, yeah. You that's know, like our, yeah, that would be my biggest fear with a job would be to deliver it and the client thinking, oh man, this is not like what I thought it was going to be. You know, yeah, I was expecting about a punch in the gut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that's not a very comforting one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness we, we usually get the, Oh my God, God, look at you that. You exceeded yeah, our yeah. expectations. Yeah. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. So as we move forward with stuff, uh, I'm hoping I can help a lot of guys out. Yeah. That would be cool yeah. if, uh, you got a you've couple of, uh, referrals, people listening oh, absolutely. to the podcast. Yeah. What's the, um, we know your region is sort of like New Jersey, Long Island, everything, right? Yep. How far does RT Machine Service? Uh, we actually go cross country. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had different things where, you know, wherever it's like we have guys in Alabama this week. Oh. You know, so, you know, we're down into Florida that we cleaned a plan out in Wisconsin. Our guys were out there for eight weeks. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was an auction deal and we did all the rigging out of the auction, but we had to clean the whole plan out. So we were responsible to take all the wiring and everything mm. out of this plan. It was a uh, flooring plant so yeah it just depends on what it is you know we're, we uh bid just about anything that's that cool into our realm and makes sense you know how big is the um facility we're eighty thousand square feet and we are actually looking to expand quite a bit so yeah with the, the sounds we're on, of those <clears throat> we're on 25 acres up there so wow it's uh how far from here it's near o'shea you said right uh, no, no, Shay's down by York. We're actually Hughesville towards Williamsport. Oh, Williamsport. Yeah. So we're like 25 minutes South of we're Hughesville, Muncie area. That's so close to Grizzly. Right down the road from yeah. where Grizzly was. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They closed that. Oh, they facility. closed it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a huge, beautiful facility up there. Yeah. Um, it just didn't make sense for the distribution. You know, Lycoming College. Yep. Yeah. I, I've been to Lycoming. Yep. <laughs> that, that, bet you weren't ready for somebody to bring that up <laughs> yeah i don't know how which way you guys would come across there like i come out 78 so is it for, northeast pennsylvania uh we're like north central yeah you know we're starting to get over here what's another landmark city or town bloomsburg that's not big i'm trying to think what else would be it's not like lancaster area no 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 we're we're going to be i'm trying to think what else would be so if you're coming across 80 you'd come through like wilkes-barre scranton i think it's about an hour oh okay from us but i'm just trying to think which is the best way from here breaking up and over like i run 78 out because it's fast you know and then then would would shoot up through mm-hmm. but um so i would say it's probably three three and a half maybe from here oh well but like i'm i'm in jersey every week so yeah from my house it's you know not even two hours you know running around marking my territory we gotta we gotta we're <laughs> peeing on with, every door yeah <laughs> I'm say we're lucky with our commutes <laughs> i think i'm up to four miles now <laughs> 
I make all the lights, it's like uh, 10 minutes in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, it all depends. Uh, you know, it's funny because it's like, it's such a short commute. I turn left onto 36, and I that first light, I'll be red. And then it's green all the way up to uh, Main Street. Mm -hmm. And then you catch the first two green and the second one red. Yeah. And that's the way it is every morning. <laughs> See, when I, I, I go on to Main, I go down Leonardville, I make a right onto Main Street, Belford. Mm -hmm. And then I make a left on a 36. If I don't get on it real good, okay. as soon as I get on a 36, I hit all the oh, yeah. red lights. So I got to really get on it and get through, get through the light at, at Main Street, Port Monmouth. Yeah, I, I go, you know, if speed limit's 50. I probably go about 50, 53 or whatever. It hits all, get all the green lights. I'm doing oh, about nice. 75. <laughs> 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 Creatures of habit. Yeah. Yeah, this morning I was trying to fill in some other stuff, and, but I just couldn't find anything that was without backtracking <laughs> from my first job. So I just waited a little bit later and uh, came out today and hit down around... Uh, Asbury as well. Okay. A lot of shops are closed up. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's half the battle. Our area wasn't serviced, you know, out this way. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm pretty much in uncharted territories for a lot of it. Yeah. Well, Tom's brother had a shop in, I think it was in Asbury, right? Yeah, I think he so. He shut down. Andrew Grossman, did you go to him? I don't know over there yet. Wait, he, uh, the upholstery guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was there he's today. He's got a CNC and everything. Yeah. They do a lot of banquettes. Yeah, I was there this afternoon, actually. They, uh. The one guy I needed to talk to was out, but mm. looks like I had a fair amount going on with the upholstery work and everything. And yeah, my old helper, uh, Leilani, this woman, she was the best best helper I ever had. She works there; she's great. Yeah, I, I was really odd that there were so many shops that I was hitting dead ends with, mm -hmm. you know, from different lists that I have, and mm. you know, trying to just clean that up. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else is out this way. You got Wind River, who moved over to Fairhaven. They, they, uh, I reached out to them. They just bought a Laguna Bandit. I don't know which size. I know they have a couple different the sizes. Edge yeah. Um, Those are uh, coming out of the Nanzing plant. Mm, sounds high end. <laughs> <laughs> Nanzing is actually pretty big. Yeah. But they, uh, it used to be badged under Jibbon, mm. is what it was. But I, I, pretty familiar with those machines as well. Mm -hmm. I spent a bunch of time on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Edge Bander seems to be like my, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that ever happened, but <laughs> hot rods and edge banders. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this episode. There you go. Yeah. I mean, we, we have, uh, you know, we had a couple flatbeds, you know, verticals point to points. So we had pretty much everything that was around the realm and knowing what, what can fit a marketplace. Um, and what type of work people are doing. I'm always a big fan of the point to points as well, just because you can do a lot of stuff, you know, a shop that doesn't have like per se a very square panel saw. Mm -hmm. You can rough cut everything or have a vertical. That's one of the other nice things with it. So if you have a, a vertical saw, you know, if you really tight on space and go into a point to point, you just do a trim cut all the way around it. So one of one of the key features of that is you're not burrowing all the way through when you're running nested base. So the biggest the biggest challenge with nested base is the tooling. You know, and a lot of this stuff you have to run compression bits on and the 
peak between the two compressions is what gets beat up first. So typically that's where you'll start to see like a line on the panel and then mm. you have to address that. So it starts to happen and we see a lot is guys are running dull tooling and then they try to make up for it at the edge banner with the pre-mill. <laughs> so the biggest problem you have there is, okay, if you have a hiccup on the, on the banding and you've already pre-milled off, you know, if you're, you're doing one millimeter, what have you, that panel is now junk because your drillings and everything are already on there. Mm. And so that's, that's one of the biggest problems that you see. And it's, so if you have a couple hiccups in a day, now to reintroduce it on the flatbed, um, now it becomes an issue because now you're trying to just put one piece on there or you're going to put it just yeah. a full sheet up and knock out a couple pieces, you know, and then put this half sheet up, you know, and does it get reintroduced at one point? Yeah, it just depends. I mean, there's a lot of high speed stuff running that's, you know, auto load, auto offload, and it works works great. It just depends on I'm just always a fan of a, a panel saw. That's my first priority. Although we have flatbeds, you know, which you need the flatbeds as well, but when you really get into building a lot of boxes mm-hmm. or controlling, you know, every you're you're cutting square parts on a saw. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where you know, a lot of parts that aren't getting machining you know, after the fact where they're getting horizontal machining or something. Yeah. I mean, that's the way we look at it to the table saw and the band or the, yeah. like yeah. for cabinet boxes, it, it would take more time to program it. I mean, I, even with, you know, something like mosaic or whatever, where it's kind of just whatever, um, then it would to just walk to the saw and just start cutting it up, you know? Well, and that's where you have to look at, you know, the economies of your time, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the scope of things, that's what people usually start to lose. Okay. How much time did I just now spend working on something else that I could have been productive on? And that all goes depending on what the job is. Yeah. You know, there's no like one single answer. I believe that that says, Oh yeah, everything's got to go this way. Everything's got to go that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> especially with the, the cut hardware, you know, or software, I guess it is where it tells you, you know, how to maximize the, the sheet stock and everything like that. Yeah. I mean that, that really helps yes. the saw operator. Yeah, the optimization is Yeah, that's is what key. I was looking for. Huh? Yeah, d- definitely when any type of sawing operation, if you can introduce a optimization. Because yeah, you know how we, it goes. You get you get a, you guys are getting a thousand things going through your head, and now yeah. you're over here trying to cut the job. What did I just cut? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, we use a free online thing called OptiCutter. You just yeah. punch in, you know, dimensions. You can select your grain direction. Yeah. Yep. And it says, okay, cut six sheets just like this. Cut four sheets just like that. Cut one sheet just like this. Yeah. It takes all the human error out of it. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and, and with, like you said, that's a free program. Mm-hmm. I know. So it's... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. yeah. Even a big job, like um, <clears throat> we bit a kitchen, this lady... Paid for a kitchen and the guy stiffed her. No. It was like nine months later. She had paid the guy like 30 grand. I don't know. You know, it was whatever deposit or something. He said, I don't have your money and I don't have the kitchen. So she reached out to us to price it out. Um, Even like extrapolating the parts on that and plugging it in just to get a, a material list, like a quantity. I mean, it didn't take very long at all. And that was going through plans and, you know, having to make a list. Yep. Off of somebody else's drawings. Well, like you said, the mosaic program, that's a pretty good program for, um, very budget minded, Mm -hmm. you know, and and to be honest today, you know, unless you're doing something, you got to go into cabinet vision, you know, which, you know, a lot of shops run and there's nothing wrong with the program, 
um, you can do, link multiple things together. But, you know, I know a, a very big shop up in Pennsylvania, Northway Industries, and they still, they have the best of the best equipment and still have problems getting uh, posting to new equipment. So nothing's just a plug and play per se. There is some things that, that kind of go smooth, but there's yeah. a learning curve to every yeah. every step of it. Hopefully they'll still need people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just something about this industry. It's like they won't let us have anything easy. You know, it's like always got to be yeah. a little. Yeah. We have all this automation, but it's not going to work perfect. It's, they're still going to be. Yeah, know. the headaches are. They can be. Uh, well, actually, I'm going through that with, with a customer in the motor right now. They're debating on. He does do a lot of smaller run stuff. But typically what they run is uh, 1,500, about 3,000 feet on on their runs. But do I spend the extra 6,000 and do full servo controls? But the problem with that is the back end has to be your front end of that. You have to have everything dialed in of your cutter. So everything has to be measured correctly on your cutter. So if something was sent out, Sharpened, Sharpen, and then, yeah. comes back on. If if you didn't put that in exactly, you're still going to be fuddling around, you know, where, like he says, he has all the samples and he writes down all his spec right on the back of that sample test piece. So then he goes in and says, oh, click, click, click. There's only really a couple things he's got to, to move for it. So I think he's going to stay with the more manual setup just because he's so used to it. And I think once he gets a new machine as well, he's going to see just – how much easier because he's, he's running an older machine. The backlashes are out, you know? So it's like one of those things. I got to go three times out and <laughs> half a turn in, you know, <laughs> you know, to oh, get man. it right. So yeah, it's, <clears throat> and that computer throws one more aspect yeah. in. Do, will mm-hmm. it do? Absolutely. But are you going to get that benefit out of it? And is that going to help you really? You know, if you have a peace of mind, if you feel comfortable, staying in that zone, you know, and you're not really going to get a lot of added value. Now I can see if he was going to say, Oh man, I'm running all these things that are like 300 feet jobs. Yeah. Then that, that definitely makes a lot of sense because now you're jumping around all day long, mm-hmm. you know, and setting up tooling and whatnot. And that, that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, then today you have a lot of stuff with HSK tooling and stuff too. So that makes it a lot easier because that's basically a CNC chuck that you're right. popping into your motors. Huh. So, yeah, molders are that's that's not even anything we've ever even no. thought about. How uh, I mean, I guess is it the knives that are still the most important yeah, element? That's that's the, pretty much your biggest. You know, and there's all types of different tooling. You know, for them, and depending on what level you get up to. You know, I, I ran some smaller motors for a couple of specific projects we did and we had all diamond in it because it never changed and it did the same process all the way through. So something like that, you can go, but the diamond cutters are very expensive, <laughs> you know, and you got to be running a lot of that profile. You know, we just happen to be yeah. running a high pressure laminate on an MDF with basically a miter lock assembly and it had to be super precision. And, you know, we would get, six, eight months out of a set of cutters before we're sharpening. So, and then we only ever had to adjust outboard side, inboard side always stayed the same. So that wasn't too bad. And we just made an adjustment on the outboard side of it. 
Yeah, having dedicated, you know, whether it be a machine or whatever for one task is just like we always the way to go, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's what we had different assembly lines. So we had just specific equipment we built just to do that one process, and that's all it did all day long. Mm. You know, so if we had, and we had, you know, over the years we built actually a lot of custom equipment in it. That's what's nice with having RT machine because we have that. You know, I was fortunate years ago. I had I had a good machinist and a welder and a good electrician with controls. You know, in the early days, and now we have all that under one roof. Yeah. You know, today to to handle all that, and and our control guys are really second to none. You know, it's it's amazing what they can. We have to cook up some kind of crazy machine. <laughs> yeah. In our heads. How can we make those boxes faster? <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah, we want a machine that makes those boxes. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually would probably be pretty simple. Yeah, it's it's definitely an impressive facility if you're ever going for a field trip. That would yeah. be fun. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We got we got a lot of stuff on deck right now, so it's How far is it from falling water? I don't know where falling water is. I'm trying um, to think. I think that's out there pretty far. Yeah. Falling water is out like you have to go towards Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, no, no. Um so we're north like just north of 80. Okay. So I'm trying to think, yeah, uh, you know, and then 180 we comes We go Scranton, like if we're going to Pulaski. Okay. Hughesville. Yeah. Yeah, just a little town mm-hmm. coming through. Nice, though. Yeah. Is it like on the, the Scranton, the Schuylkill goes through Scranton, right? Well, we're we're another hour oh, okay. west. It's you can see. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like Coleman County. Yep. Home yeah, if you knew where Grizzly was, that was. We were literally, not even ten minutes from there. Yeah, they're what in Missouri, and, and they're actually getting ready to tear that whole Lake Coming Mall down. Oh, modify it. Yeah, I guess a couple of anchor stores are going to stay up there. But. <clears throat> yeah, the the age of the shopping mall is. Is that more. Grizzly was in a mall? Is that what it was? Or Well, the Lycoming Mall was there. Then they had their buildings. Uh, and I don't know what the square footage were. They were huge buildings. Because they had their distribution there and their whole showroom hmm. was there. I think I think it probably would have made sense if it was closer to Harrisburg. That would have been probably made a lot more sense for them. Yeah, Just so you are, you're, in the you're main probably quarters. two hours from Harrisburg? An hour and a half. Hour and a half, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's not a bad trip at all. Right up 15 and turns right into one. Just like a little southwest. Yep. Yeah, because I went to school out in West Virginia, so I would take 476 all the way. Oh, yeah. Altoona, get on 220, and then 68 or something. The party bars in the streets. Oh, yeah. The beer bars, we call them. Yeah, Morgantown. <laughs> fun town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still paying they, for they all that fun. They, they, they give you a glass in those, and it already has lipstick and stuff on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're lucky if you got glass. It was mostly plastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, right. I was That's, in a few of those. <laughs> yeah. College town, yes, where there is no breakable glass. It's always plastic. Yeah, the funny thing in Morgantown, it's like the bars, you only have to be 18 to get in. Yeah. But you can't drink unless you're 21, <laughs> yeah. you know, in quotations. Yeah, they had, well, back when I was there it was definitely in the basement mm-hmm. uh you couldn't go to the upper bar that was on street level you had to go to the basement bar oh man that was uh pretty rugged 
Yeah, one beer on tap. <laughs> yeah. Usually, <laughs> like, no ice, choice ice, house. <laughs> ice house was a big one for on tap. Yeah, Wednesdays were penny pitchers, so a pitcher of beer was a penny. And okay. I went to school in this is like 2008. Oh, so yeah. I yeah, can't so. imagine, you know, it was probably had been a penny for 30 years. Yeah, you know? it just never changed. Yeah, the last time I was there was like 87, 88 maybe. Yeah, so it was a long time ago. <laughs> I wasn't even born. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah good times. Town. Yeah, it's a fun town. My uh, my buddy had, he went to Pitt, and he had uh, on his Mustang, said Pitt GT for the license plate. And uh, they were down there in Virginia for a game, and somebody rolled oh, yeah. this whole license plate up. <laughs> yeah. West Virginia. Eat shit Pitt is yeah. the, that's what it was, says, the backyard brawl. Actually, when I was a freshman... Uh, we lost to Pitt in the backyard brawl at home and it knocked us out. We were supposed to go to the NCAA championship and Gosh. it knocked us out. Yeah, it was, that was a heartbreaker. I don't know if do they still hold the, uh, ranking for the number one party school in the U S they yeah. were always in it's the top club. Yeah. I've looked it up a couple of times when I was a freshman, it was number one. Yeah. I like to think that I had, I had a small hand in that. Um, <laughs> but recently I think I was talking to somebody about it. It was, it was a different school, but. Yeah, it was like Playboy, I think, was the big one who yeah. did, did yeah. the rankings. And it was, yeah, like forever. Yeah, it's funny because like on my Facebook profile, it said, where'd you study? It said BKU. Well, it's Bob Crailing University. It's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I was never college material. <laughs> well, I didn't leave with a diploma. I'll yeah. put it that way. <clears throat> took, I did graduate, but it took me literally 20 years from the time I graduated high school. Cause <laughs> I started and stopped so many times oh yeah to get over the hump on it you know you when you're working you you go you go for a semester two semesters and you just can't do it anymore and yeah because you get a full boat going on yeah yeah so 20 years but i did graduate so yeah i dove into that and that was my education (laughs) in the woodworking industry well, we've been out of here for about an hour and 40 minutes. I feel wow. like we just scratched the surface. I think so. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to have you come back again. Oh, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe on delivery day we'll do, a, yeah. we'll do episode oh, two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm out here every week, so. <laughs> yeah, well, hey. Whatever you want me to slide in. i here every Wednesday. Have you done other podcasts? No, first one. All right. Well, well, yeah, so I feel honored. You're a natural. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel honored to be on it. Some people sit down and they lock up. oh yeah we try and keep it you know no uh, lighthearted. well i i I studied actually so i listened to your podcast yeah yeah, the funny thing is it's um like stuck in my spotify so like every time i get in no matter what car your podcast comes on like right away i'm like how the hell do i get those downloads segues into one of my favorite episodes when we were uh, delivering a piece of furniture and uh, the wife says, Jeff says, how did you hear oh, yeah, about yeah, us? Yeah. And the wife says, he's always listening to that stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like some guy in like finance or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just, he's like, yeah, I found We're your famous. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, I always get a kick out of that. So, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, this month. We'll hit 100,000 downloads. We're at awesome. Yeah. About yeah. 98,000. So this month we'll we'll take over, and hopefully. if we send like half of them to me, yeah, <laughs> pick the brain, yeah, yeah, 
No, I'd love it'd be awesome to have, you know, some more people with yeah. questions and stuff and Oh yeah, yeah. well we'll get you some feedback. Uh I'm sure this is gonna be If you're be even having trouble painting your hot rod, you know, I can yeah. deal in with that as <laughs> yeah. well. And the uh my my buddy's a painter as well. And uh he said it's like Russian roulette, but a slow death oh, no. in body work and paint. Because they're always changing the chemicals and stuff and you know, you gotta be on your game. That's like Manny. Yeah, Tom over at TCC wants your Bondo tips. Yeah. But not for cars. <laughs> <laughs> There's more Bondo in that shop than a body shop, I yeah. think, sometimes. Yeah, he buys it in the big gallon cans. Ooh. Yeah. We won't, we won't make a comment because, you yeah. know. He's uh, making sculptures. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to know what he's doing over there after hours. <laughs> it's bad news. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, take care, yeah. everybody. Thanks. As always, Rob and I, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week. If you want to help support the podcast, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can join our Patreon, or you can use one of our affiliate links in the podcast description for vesting finishes. Um, again, we appreciate your support. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in.